the old world is ending, and we have the opportunity to rethink everything. This is a show about the structural problems in our world and the real solutions that we have today to transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse into a collaborative and sustainable futuristic society that serves all life. You may think it's an impossible dream, but the alternative is an inevitable nightmare. We're your hosts, Zachary Marlowe, Matt Holton, and Amanda Smith. And together, when we can move past this economic absurdity to come together and actualize our collective potential to create something completely new, we are Moneyless Society. Surprise, surprise. So this is a little bonus episode that was recorded with my friend Nathan's show, Kindness Rebellion. Nathan has been a really great supporter of our show, a listener, someone who believes in us to the point where he reached out and said, how can I help out? Like many others who have reached out to us to become volunteers, to join the Moneyless Society and work together to build the transition to the world that we would all so badly want to live in. Uh, I just want to stop you here and say, you know, if you're listening on YouTube, subscribe, like, comment, share, all that shit. Share our shows, tell your friends, and help us prepare for the next season, which we want to go off with a bang. I can't wait to get this out to you. I can't wait to show you all the things that we've been working on, all the reasons we haven't been able to get this show out, because I'll tell you, we've been busy. This episode is bringing things down to a more personal level. It's just me and Nathan, and it's uh, talking about how we can embody this structural systemic awareness in our daily lives, the space where we live, not in the hypothetical world tomorrow, but how we treat other people in the here and now as a revolutionary act of kindness. So without further ado, I'm going to release this conversation mostly raw with all the ums and ahs and starts and stops because we have so much work to do. Enjoy. We're currently recording, so everything's good on my end. How's everything looking on your end? Uh, it looks, it looks good. I'm stuck in this okay. material form, this body. Um, can't really do anything <laughs> about that, you know. You gotta, you gotta deal the hand, hand you're given, right? <laughs> we'll find a way once we reach the singularity or something. <laughs> yeah, we'll, okay. we'll, uh, we'll be able to upload our bodies into, or sorry, our consciousnesses into the new uh, Samsung Galaxy S69. <laughs> <laughs> Won't it be amazing? It'll have such fast processing. All right. Um, let's go ahead. Five, four. Marlo, thank you so much for coming on to the Kindness Rebellion. I really appreciate you uh, offering to join me on here and uh, talk about all of the ways that we can create real, meaningful, valuable systemic change, uh, especially with your work with the Moneyless Society. Um, thanks so, so thank you so much for being on. I, I thought you were recording earlier. I mean, I, I was I was throwing out these solid gold riffs. I mean, <laughs> dude, I'll, I'll edit you gotta those be rolling, in. I promise. Man. Always oh, be rolling. I'll edit those in. I promise. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Good. Well, hey, man. Yeah. It's, thank uh, you it's so good much to be on. Being on. Always, always nice to be at somebody else's show. You know, you don't have to do the dishes. You don't have yeah. to. Uh, it's like going to going to your friend's house. You know, you. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's exciting. It's like you know a change of pace, change of scenery. I'm Perfect. actually yeah. in a friend's house right now. Uh, so I'm in a building. I'm not like recording in some random ass place where I usually am. It's funny. Mm -hmm. I recorded like every episode of the first season of Money the Society pretty much in uh, a uh, shed basically in my friend's backyard where I was living in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Nice. That's amazing, man. 
Uh, it's it's really cool to kind of see your nomadic lifestyle that you've been living. Uh, it's it's something that I kind of look at very fondly, and I think I think I can speak for a lot of people when it really feels like it's sort of like I don't know. It seems so out of reach, only in terms of like just getting the will to just fucking do it. You know, to actually just to just drop the the, the nine to five that we know is just crushing our spirit to just to just actually go out and live that life. I'm kind of, I mean, I'd love to kind of start right there. Uh, how did you kind of um, get, how did you become radicalized, I guess? Or how did you start waking up and seeing these new points of view um, in such a powerful way that it like caused you to actually make the changes that you've made in your life and just go on this nomadic journey where you're just uh, all over the place? I'd love to hear about that. Well, it's not really like... Um it's not really like any one thing that happened to me. You know, it's not like I got, I got, uh, thrown into a vat of radical ideology. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, um, I just, I've never really been blessed with a normal human existence, I guess. I mean, no one, there's no normal human existence. There's no, um, factory setting on humanity. We are just mind, mind numbingly or mind blowingly variable. I mean, we're, we're changing all the time and we, we, we are like, uh, you know, uh, biologically wired to be nomadic, to adapt to our environment because, you know, we know like as from an evolutionary standpoint that like we're, we're going to be born into a completely different environment potentially than, you know, even one generation prior. So we're born like, you know, completely half formed. We're not born like a deer already walking around. We're like completely mm-hmm. blank because we have to take in our surroundings and adapt to them because they could be, you know, totally different. You know, I, um, never really had a normal life. I mean, I had a normal childhood. I actually had a too normal childhood. It was, it was really like sublime and beautiful and perfect. And I had, you know, the American dream and this, uh, little cul-de-sac of neighbors who know each other's names and have cookouts and, and, uh, you know, we go, go on hide and seek and go through everybody's yards and playing in the backyard, just living in a fantasy, really just living in this world of like make-believe that was, a uh, untouched by the darkness of the world and then being thrust into that world i i think just a big part of what is radicalizing is having empathy and kind of Mm. reconciling with the fact that we don't live in a society that uh, fosters that or uh, understands or respects that and then in nearly every way is sort of designed uh, against that is designed to make us focus on ourselves. And uh, tune out the experiences of other people's, the lives of others. You know, we have this this uh, totally individualized imprisonment uh, that keeps us competing, self-maximizing, and just not really paying attention to the the really deeper struggles in the world. I mean, the suburbs themselves, where I grew up, are designed, I think, to you know uh, insulate you from life. You know, they're so uh, structured and they're so yeah. uh, sort of physically walled off that you don't really see this unpredictability you don't really see what's going on so i was medicated from a very young age um i was uh too rambunctious (laughs) in school not really like getting into fights or anything just like being curious and drawing constantly and like um just being really active and like i couldn't focus on the lesson plan i would generally like pick up the content pretty quickly uh, kind of ambiently or just, just understand it intuitively. And then I would get bored and I would ask questions and I'd go off track. And this was a really a bad problem for, for teachers in an industrialized school system. 
So uh, I was medicated um, at a very young age, like 10 years old, maybe even earlier, on like Ritalin, which is uh, uh, like meth, it's basically. Like speed, yeah. Yeah, it's, kids, it's trucker though, right? speed for kids. For kids. Yeah. God. Yeah, I mean, that, um, that'll change you, you know? I can't yeah. fathom the kind of person that I would have been otherwise. I mean, my, I have two brothers that I would guess you would consider radical as well. They live on farms mm -hmm. or my brother lives in his truck and he's, he's like some kind of anarchist mechanic or something. Nice. Um, but so it's like, I, I don't think that I would have necessarily just been like other people. I mean, I, I had, I had a father who was very, um, in his own way, socially conscious, he's very liberal, um, mm -hmm. which was a, a contrast to being in, you know, the, the deep South. Um, he taught me a lot of good values and a lot of, um, openness and a lot of, uh, uh virtue. And my, my mother is always very focused on other people and helping other people. And, uh, she's a very sensitive person and she's, uh, in the medical field, always wants to heal and help. And, you know, those are influences that you can't really deny, but yeah. I think ultimately like the radicalizing experience is being raised in an, in a radically fucked up society mm. that it's, it's not radical to just look out at the world and be like, this is wrong. You know, I, yeah. I couldn't articulate it when I was a young child or in middle school or elementary school. I think that was really the, the first uh, experience of it. I remember being in middle school and uh, they made us walk, march in straight lines to our classes completely silently. They called it silent transition, like some dystopian movie. Oh my God. And I just, you know, just, just felt imprisoned, you know, I felt, yeah. Uh, uh, I felt alien in my own world, in my own body, in my own life. I was immensely unpopular. I just basically didn't exist. And I was just never privy to society. I was never really invited into, you know, normality. So I've always had a, an other um, experience, an experience of otherness, a vantage that is um, far enough away from polite society or what is accepted in normality or whatever normality that I just, I've seen things differently and yeah. that's, that's radicalizing. I mean, from it's, it's, it's a long story. I mean, we've covered it in a few of our shows, like our little mm -hmm. origin story episode, yeah. but, you know, like being very sensitive and being thrust into an insensitive world and, you know, trying to self-medicate with alcohol and drugs and, mm. you know, chasing girls and like, like, you know, flights of fancy and poetry and this, you know, learning, like I did eventually find friends, discover I have a voice and talents and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, social skills. And just, you know, I, I just, I had this period of like darkness, you know, <laughs> this yeah. period of like, there was a, a moment in my life where I like my, my, uh, foolish optimism was, you know, bothering people or something that I was, I was very loud and bright and, um, like, you know, uh, I had this kind of awakening of like, if I'm going to put my heart out for people and they're going to hate me, I'm going to give you something to hate. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, you know, internalizing the, the hatred of society into myself and mm. burn just, just, that just made me want to want to burn myself alive. And I did, you know, in my thoughts and my thinking for many years, just disintegrate myself, just try to melt myself in this mm -hmm. boiling self-hatred that was really just. I couldn't see that like, it's not me, it's the world. I and mean, it, wow. it is me because we're all a ref an innermost reflection of the world, that we are a reaction to the, our surroundings, that we are our surroundings, we are our environments. And, yeah. you know, um, it's, it's very difficult to 
I don't know, to, to not fit into a society and, and want to so badly and just be rejected. That, yeah. that, a, that experience of alienation is profound, you know? And yeah. um, I think that's, that's kind of the greatest uh, radicalizing force is just not being, just being abnormal, just being different, yeah. you know? And not being celebrated for that in any way, being rejected. And um, that's the greatest gift that I've ever had is... It's, sorry, go, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's the greatest gift that I've ever had is is not being accepted is is being forced to to reconcile with these problems in society and these maladjustments and to be able to basically just never adapt to this world at all and and you know never never accept that this is what life should be in any way and so many people um are today reconciling with that as they watch the apocalyptic news as they yeah. see the global pandemic and the climate crisis and the mm. humanitarian crises that are all inter interwoven together into one big fuck you <laughs> to anyone's future <laughs> that I, I just never, I just never saw any of that stuff as normal anyway. So I'm yeah. in a lot of ways more uh, well-adjusted to a changing world. That's awesome. I think that's so valuable. And you touched on so many different things there. One of the things that, that I, th I just felt like was really important, kind of when you're talking about the suburban lifestyle growing up and how it seems like it's like just this perfect utopia. And then you kind of realize that you're actually walled off. You know, you see how we're kind of separating ourselves from nature uh, in suburbia. We really like try to deny ourselves that experience and just like, and it makes me realize how we're just living in these conditions that are really just trying to shield us from all the shit that we're continuously creating. And I, I loved hearing just how you had these uh, family members and these influences and kind of that were allowing you to be yourself and just kind of like not have to try and assimilate with the mainstream and just be the same as everyone else. Um, Cause I had a, I had a sim or I had an experience where I just was stuck in that sort of assimilation for so long, you know, and it was just, I was very much like everybody else just trying to, you know, decide, okay, what shitty job am I going to work for the rest of my life so that I can make just enough money to uh, feel like I'm a little bit better than my neighbors and that's going to be happiness for me, you know? And, uh, and it wasn't until, and I, I, I also love how you say that there's just not really like a vat of radicalizing uh, juice or whatever that you drop into, you know, you, you just, it's over time, you're just seeing how all of these things that people just don't question for some reason are just really fucked up and really weird. And we're all just kind of like accepting it. But then you, I, I just love hearing how you didn't really accept these things. And, uh, and you kind of allowed yourself to take it in, take it in and grow and grow and grow. And, uh, and allow ourselves to just, just accept newer viewpoints and specifically viewpoints that the current systems that we're engaging in are in no way beneficial for us, you know? Like, not only are we just seeing all these disasters coming our way, right? The climate crisis, the debt crisis, uh, nuclear war, all that good stuff. But um, I, I just, I also think a lot about like the mental health of these people, of, of everybody and myself included, you know? And, and even like you said, where you went through this dark period, like, I feel like that's not, and, and you, you had to realize that it was not just you, that it was the like the system acting itself upon you because that's just becoming more and more and more common. We're just seeing a society of sick, sick people. So I re I'm really happy that you kind of took us through that journey there because um, I, I can definitely see how you had this unique mindset that allowed you to break the mold. And then in the same way, you're being affected by all the same shit that a lot of us are going through. And you just didn't assimilate and let yourself like become swallowed by that, I guess. 
I think a big part of it, I mean, it's hard to, to condense like one's story, but I think yeah. being able to see that, you know, we are living a story, you know, that, that we do have uh, these influences and these, these uh, plot points in our lives, that there are these moments that change us. There are influences, individuals, people that come into our lives that uh, inject us with some new perspective. And I've always, um, I, I grew up, you know, for a lot of my life being like a listener and being very silent, being like in myself, which is, you know, maybe hard for a lot of people to, un to think about because I talk so goddamn much today. But um, <laughs> I just spent like years of my life talking to no one, almost, you know, completely silent and, and just being able to like, I don't know, I, I just, when I did start having friends, I would really see them kind of as like an extension of myself and, and, you know, to not confine your own personal sense of success or fulfillment or self-expression to you as, as an individual, or even just you with like me and my family and my little friends and my partner and this individualized experience. I, I think that my own story, you know, the things that I, that I feel, the things that I speak, the things that I have come to know, I learned through other people, you know, I didn't learn through me. I, I you know, I, I have, I have spent a lot of time, you know, digging into like raw consciousness of just like dreams and unconsciousness and mining that sort of sensory information or, or that the, the packets of, 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 um, who we are, you know, who I am when I'm, when no one else is around at all. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I had friends who showed me what racism was. I had friends who showed me what it meant to, um, be lower class. I heard, I had friends who, you know, um, taught me through their lives and their experiences, what class consciousness was, what, mm. uh, it meant to be a rebel, what it meant to say, fuck the man, you know, the, the strength to stand up and say how you feel, you know, these things I learned from other people, not from myself. And mm -hmm. that's, that's, if, if there is a strength that I possess, it is, uh, that ability to, um, to take pride in others, you know, to listen to others that, you know, that, that, that's really who we are. That's mm -hmm. how we learn. And I think that's more than any other, um, I don't know. I mean, I've just, I've had so many phases and I've gone through so many personalities and experiences and existences. I've been so many people, mm -hmm. each of them learned different lessons and to progress had to completely die. Mm. And a lot of that is like a psychedelic experience and psychedelics, you know, actually taking acid and walking around in the suburbs and kind of seeing like, Oh, this is not normal. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's also something that's really powerful that can really be an eye opening experience. But it all has yeah. to be connected to some sense of society, of others, that, you know, uh, to just take acid in a room alone, you know, in your own mind, you're not going to really, you know, break out of that. You'll yeah. probably just have yourself a really bad trip and blame the world. Yeah, especially if it's drawing up some really dark and um, hidden emotions that you just weren't planning on dealing with at the moment. <laughs> Cause I, I mean, I know I've, I've had a very similar experience, like, um, just kind of, I've, uh, really used, uh, psilocybin to kind of treat my own depression and, um, and help just alleviate that, that ego and that sense of self that you're talking about. Um, because it, it allowed me to do something similar to what you're talking about, where you're, you're no longer saying like, oh, there's some like 
essence of me that is only within me that I have to try and find and hold on to kind of thing. It was more like this ego or this sense of self that I've created is really just reflections of everyone. And so it's just the parts that I'm like picking and choosing based on what I feel I like or whatever, and that those don't need to define me or hold me back or anything that you can just shackle them off. And it's such an important feeling. And honestly, I really attribute um, psychedelics and psilocybin specifically to my so-called individual or spiritual awakening, if you can even call me awakened in any sense of the way. But like it, it did just like at least it mobilized me for this need for change. And it's what I actually attribute like this podcast to is, is based on my experiences through there because I just kind of felt this very deep sense of unity and, um, and love and togetherness that I just felt like needed to be brought into the world. And, um, and I, I kind of wanted to kind of steer that way a little bit because I really, cause I wouldn't want to say that everybody needs to have, you know, go and take uh, acid or, or psilocybin mushrooms in order to. Well, Terrence McKenna said something like, like if you go through life, never having taken acid, it's like never having heard music or had sex. I do think it's a, (laughs) it's a profound loss. Uh, and you're missing a piece of yourself if you haven't. I don't know. Yeah. I don't understand how anybody could really uh, go through life without experiencing that or like living in, in fear of their own consciousness. It's pathetic. Yeah. To me. Yeah. It's tragic. That, that makes sense. Yeah, it is. Sorry, he, I, yeah, I, he, I, he also said it was like ahead. their birthright, right? I, I think so. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, 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 he, his theory goes deeper into like the um, almost like codependency that humans evolved with these substances. And I think that's, there's a lot of truth to that, that okay. we have evolved with plants, you know, mm-hmm. and we've evolved like with, we've evolved with dogs. We've evolved with mm-hmm. other species, other, other animals in the animal kingdom. We are not independent of ourselves, but sorry, mm-hmm. I, I kind of uh, steered you away. You were saying you were trying to steer the conversation. No, that's, to something. that's great. I, I love that. Cause the, the, the whole interdependence of the, you know, that evolution is very important. And and, you know, I, uh, I do want to second that, what, what Terrence McKenna said, because honestly, it is such a very valuable experience and people really should um, experience it. And I, I love how you said it's, it's like traversing their consciousness. It's about diving deeper into that. And that's definitely something that we need to do. And I think it's going to be a big part of awakening. But I, I think what I'm, what I'm really interested in talking to you about, because I love your work with the Moneyless Society. I love your action for change and your action for systems change because I, for one thing, I do see the Moneyless Society as a viable alternative to capitalism and uh, specifically a resource-based economy. I I see these as just like obvious and necessary steps to making true transcendence and actually like making a new world. And and so what I'm really curious to talk to you about is just how do we get people? How How do we get people to understand this? Because I feel like the only way I was able to understand the moneyless society and see its value and even not just the moneyless society alone but like all these other alternatives and these other technologies and amazing paths forward and yet people just don't either see it or they just don't care and and I'm so I'm so interested in figuring out how to move this forward because I really do see you you know Amanda and Matt as like true revolutionaries in making this important change to make real change well, first of all, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I we appreciate your uh, involvement and interest in joining our group and our movement and organization. It is just that. it's We cannot do anything on our own. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how you know puny an individual or even three individuals are. Although we've gotten a lot done so far, we've, we've created 
something that I think is definitely has the power to outlive us. But yeah, I mean, how do we get through to people? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think every person is different, but it takes a certain relentlessness of showing up and being there for them and speaking your truth with conviction and walking it. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think about, I think about my grandmother and what, she, what her life's message has always been be kind no matter what, you know? Mm. And I remember a moment in my life, a very dark moment where I was just experiencing so much pain of taking on the world's pain, you know, really just taking it all on, like living in my truck, trying to make this film, like to crack the egg of like the homeless crisis and the climate emergency and this impending crisis. You know, I came down off of mountain to Los Angeles to make a movie because I didn't know what else to do because I knew something very bad was going to happen. It was already happening. And I was just uh, immersing myself in the stories of the, I, I'm not going to just say they're the homeless because they were my mm-hmm. friends and neighbors of other people yeah. living in their vehicles and living on the streets. And I called my grandmother after this, just this, this wounding, this profound wounding of like this multifaceted, uh, you know, uh, break to my ego, my own sense of what I deserve that I came here. I followed the fucking angels. <laughs> I followed the, the, the synchronicities. I'm in LA. Why am I not getting picked up by some producer? Why is my talent not being noticed? Mm-hmm. You know, and then pushing beyond that to like, <laughs> you incredible asshole. There's people out here who've never, never had, you know, never been hugged by their parent. There's people out here who, you know, I, I met a guy named uh, One-Eyed Jack. He told me that the first, his first memory was watching his father kill his mother. And he just looked at me dead in the face and said, not everyone has a, a, a fair shot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just called my grandmother and I asked her, why is there so much pain in the world? And what do we do? And how do we, how do we help people? And she said, basically, you have to be an example. That's all you can do. You can do the best that you can do and be an example to people. And, you know, that's somebody in my life that is a, you know, I can't imagine the person I would be without this person, this like truly enlightened person that I, I grew up uh, never um, without the, the embrace and like this pure radiance of true love, you know, for all living things, for all peoples that my grandmother instilled in me, the, the revolutionary power in that, in this person who loves all people, who sees themselves in all things, who does not perceive this debilitating separation between themselves and the world. And um, that's, you know, you just pick yourself up after a moment like that and you keep going. But uh, I'm kind of getting lost on a tangent there, but I, I think... For me, how you find yourself, like just from a personally selfish standpoint, mm-hmm. me discovering me, my purpose, my bliss, my sense of greatest fulfillment and satisfaction, which I wouldn't do any of this if it wasn't satisfying. I wouldn't mm-hmm. sacrifice all of all of the comforts of a normal life and the certainty and security and the ability to just like go to a bar and be like, Hey, you know, you're pretty, you're cute. Oh yeah. I work at this job. I do this thing. It's not great, but whatever. And like be a normal person. I, I you know, I, 
I go to like and interact with humanity and I have to be like, what can I tell you about myself that isn't going to freak you out? Yeah. You know, <laughs> that I'm a fucking like revolutionary homeless bum like, <laughs> with, with no identity, you know, like whatever. I don't, I don't even know. But it's like that's the way to find yourself is to devote yourself to other people is to truly like get your head out of your ass and tune your sensitivity to other people's problems because that's where your fulfillment is going to come that maybe I'm skipping a step here. I think that's kind of step two. Step one is how do you just get it? How do you just get people to be curious, you know, in the most profound way to just ask questions, to just wonder, you know, could things be different or is, is it, is this the way things should be? You know, I, I mm -hmm. think I've heard this quote three times in the last week and it's, um, Bertrand Russell said it, and I think George Carlin did as well, something like, um, you know, there are those people who look at the world and ask, why? And then there are those people who uh, dream of things that don't exist yet and say, why not? And then, you know, George Carlin's addendum to that, I think, is like, uh, well, most people just, you know, don't have the fucking time to philosophize like that and jerk themselves off because they got to go to fucking work. Yeah. <laughs> and that's most people. They're stuck in, they're stuck in a cycle of just pure reactivity. They don't have mm -hmm. time to see things as they were when you were talking about people who don't get it. It's funny, the person that came to mind was like this radical communist person, you know? And she just posts constantly all of the atrocities that are going on, all of the horrors, the drone strikes, the murders, you know? And they just immerse themselves in what's wrong with the world. And this is a person that in, in many ways gets it, you know, gets mm -hmm. that the American in, empire is not out there doing good in the world that, you know, that, uh, uh, the politics of our time is a fucking charade, a puppet show whose hand is up all of our asses reaching for our heart and soul. <laughs> you know, they, they get that stuff, but they are not interested in solutions. They're not interested mm -hmm. in like creating a new energy system or creating an abundant food system. They're not interested in, in envisioning a truly different and better world. They are sort of still stuck in this vision of the past of like, oh, once we kill the baddies, then, you know, things will get better. We'll make them better because we, the yeah. people, we, the working class, we'll figure that out. I yeah, think... In the end, it would just be like the same thing. We just end up regurgitating it. But yeah, sorry, go on. Well, I, I don't, I mean, I don't want to monopolize the conversation. I mean, mm -hmm. we're here to discuss, right? <laughs> we're here to... Yeah, so I did want to touch that's on a, like... I was just really going to say that's, a, that's a question <laughs> that, that no one has the answer to, you know? Mm. Nobody, there's no pamphlet to like break it down to like, oh, you take the Eucharist and you accept that, you know, uh, fucking Jacques Fresco died for your sins. You know, this, <laughs> none of that shit's, there is no fucking, there is no party platform. There is no, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, I can't think of the name of the fucking, the little steps in, um, in the Catholic church that you have to take. There's no like oh. sales pitch. There's no like, uh, um, <laughs> there's no telemarketing script. Like we have to fucking wing it with every single person we talk to and meet them exactly where they are and help yeah. to push them further. Mm, I like that. And I think you also touched on it when you were, when you were talking about the experiences with your grandma, like um, it sounds like because she had given you this, like this, uh, this deep connection and this, this really meaningful lesson of just like, like care about people and do your best. Like, I think, I think, I mean, that's what I feel like the answer is, you know, with, with the kindness rebellion, it's really just, it's just about 
giving yourself the opportunity to empathize with other people and value other people for who they are and what they and what they are, I guess. And um, and then, like you said, that step two of just like loving that interaction and that connection so much that you actually move to start making action and actually start making impact in people's lives. Because, uh, you know, it's just like that person you're talking about that's online, you know, where, yeah, you can empathize with the plight of people across the world and it's important to do so. But if that's all you're doing, then you're just going to be stuck in a loop of like cynicism and pain. But if you can actually just like, activate yourself and wake up to do like to make real change and start just working your hardest to act in your immediate environment that just seems like the 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 potential next step and i I really do like that you pointed out that there really is no like marketing script there's no like perfect solution that's going to work for everybody because everybody's unique and we really need diversity in order to enact solutions but i mean i I think you you really did already crack it right (laughs) just just that just the empathy with people and trying to actually give a shit is going to, I feel like just has to be the first step. And I just, I guess the part that I'm really wanting to believe that we can do is actually getting people to give a shit and getting people to care and empathize. Well, a big part of it actually is in phrasing things because we are so detached from empathy in the most profound and simple sense. You're mm-hmm. so cut off from that. A lot of people, that's not their first step. That's going to be like something that happens to them way later. I think the the catch-all motivator for people, it should be this way anyway. I think the one that's like, there's just not really an argument for is that we're in a climate crisis that has forced us into a very narrow uh, window of one, opportunity of how long we have to make changes and two, changes we have to make things we cannot fucking half-ass. We cannot uh, engage in politics as the art of compromise when we are dealing with resource overshoot or when we're dealing with a very fucking narrow window of like a carbon budget that, for instance, you know, we are, if we burn all of the carbon, if, if we burn all the fossil fuels that we are permitted for right now, the projects that we have open, we will kill the planet. That's it. We can't do that. You know, we can't have a system that is based on endless consumption. We cannot have a debt-based money system that is expansionary, that requires more growth all the time, that is you know, predicated on something that is nonsensical, that is actually in its own way based on the death of nature, you know, that yeah. you know, our money system and the, any commodity in our world is, is its foundation of value. It's like it's not just labor that creates value, it's fucking earth. It's nature, Mm. it's resources, it's, you know, an ecosystem that is destroyed to make this product or to make Mm -hmm. this service or to do this thing that we uh, cannot um, wiggle through that with any allowable, there's no, there's, there's no allowable tolerance of ecocide, of ecogenocide, you know, that we have been forced, not, uh, you know, it's, it's like the many worlds are possible. And I do think that the future that uh, is a, an actual viable option for us is in many groups of people coming together and creating their own microtopia, their own mm-hmm. small little sustainable communities that are networked together, that are in communication, that are interdependent, that are not just self-sufficient, but that can meet the majority of their needs alone on their own terms on a localized, mm-hmm. communalized basis. And the Murray Bookchin uh, talked about this a lot in, in his term as confederation. And he actually phrased this in terms of like the American Revolution, that 
this was in a way the dream of America that America, that revolutionary conversation was sort of started. I'm just I'm remembering I, I recorded this uh, speech of his today. I'm, I'll post it at some point, but he said at the end like that people change unconsciously before they change consciously. So that mm. you know you can ask the average person, hey, how do you think about money? They'll be like, yeah, we need money. What do you think about work? They're like, yeah, if people don't work, they'll be lazy. You know, what do you think about climate change? Oh yeah, you know, it's probably gonna, it's probably a bad thing, but we can't really do anything about it or we'll figure it out. You know, they say these things, they run through the script. They, they do have a telemarketing script of what their ideology has basically, you know, uh, packed into their answers. It's fed their answers. You know, what do you think about the, the conflict in Ukraine? Oh, Putin's a war criminal. You know, they have lines for all of these things. You know, mm -hmm. there's not that there's not a nuance. They're not actually questioning generally uh, on an issue to issue, on a moment to moment, on a reality to reality basis, what is going on. Mm -hmm. But there's an interesting thing that happens when you have these conversations with people that you think go nowhere, that every time you plant a seed, you know, every time you are, you know, you can't unsee certain things. You can't, mm -hmm. you know, uh, unknow certain things especially about yourself and your relationship to other people or to your environment. You know, like I had this breakthrough with my mom a couple of weeks ago, cause I got into all these conflicts with my family. I was staying with them over the holidays. And there was this moment where she, I was like, we're killing the planet. And she was like, no, we're not. And I just looked around and picked up all the objects around me. And I was like, where does this come from? Where does this come from? What is this made of? Where does this fucking come from? How did this get here? Where did it <laughs> yeah. come from? And she just, I could see it just clicked. Like she was like, Oh shit. If people just don't think about where this stuff they have comes from mm. and little things like that. Even if that person isn't going to come out the next day on Facebook and, and post, Hey, you guys, everything we've ever been taught is a fucking lie. Unconsciously they've been primed. Mm. And when more people come out and, and voice these ideas and when people do it publicly and courageously and articulately, those people will change their minds. There will, there will come a day where, and it'll be frustrating for some people who are prideful that these people will say, oh, I always thought that. I always felt that way. You know, fuck it. Bring them on. Who cares? Like, we need people to get it. We don't need to be the ones that make them get it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I like that a lot. Because the, 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 I love specifically how you said it's about planting the seed and trying to, like, uh, cultivate their unconscious before trying to, you know, have them navigate the complexities of geopolitics and stuff like that. Because, um, you know, I, I mean, I had an interaction with someone today where they were just like, oh, yeah, I was, you know, bothered by my neighbor who was sitting there talking about how the system's all fucked up. And they're just like, I know that it's all shitty. I get it. It's whatever. What do you like? What do you want me to do about it? And kind of thing. But and it was just interesting because I was kind of or, you know, my girlfriend was essentially like, well, you know, we do need to have systems change. We do need to listen to this. We do need to think about this. It's like, well, I don't know. I just don't know what to think about this. I don't know what to do about this. But like even like you said, if she doesn't go on Facebook and, you know, wave the banner for everybody, it's just like that planting a seed is so important. So I'm really glad that you you pointed that out. And I kind of wanted to I wanted to see if there was any sort of way that we. Like, is there any way to catalyze that? Is it really just, you know, just trying to make impact in your immediate environment and just hope against hope that like enough people will feel it, um, that we can actually make real change? Because I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of us will feel like that, where it's just like, yeah, I get it, it's all shitty, but like, it feels insurmountable, it feels impossible. 
So, um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of play around with that. Is, is there really any way that we can sort of catalyze people to make real change? Or is it like, I, I guess I have like a, uh, I have a dark thought in the back of my head that's like people are really only going to change when they're forced to. You know, they're really only going to change when when uh, the climate has gotten so fucked that they're having to move to, you know, Nebraska because freaking California is completely flooded or something. You know, I, I wonder if there's a way that we can get people to just get on board before then or if it really is just have to wait until they're awakened by the the necessity. Well, the necessity, sadly, is not necessarily going to push them in the correct direction could push them in the wrong direction. Mm. That's how lost we are, you know? That's how, uh, you know, for, cut off from our true mm. self, from our, you know, true sense of, of uh, critical thinking and from any sense of an alternative. People are not just going to wake up one day um, and get it. They're not. And I think that the, 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 the catalyzer is nature is life you know like talk about my mother you know uh, she went through a lot of suffering a lot of unnatural systemic suffering and that made her a better person that made her have to question things she had influences around her her children who could help her to put them in a proper context and help her understand what was going on and make these connections you know and i think we you you um asked me to do this episode and you kind of said the first phrase is, is this kind of like basically like individual, spiritual, personal change versus collective change. And mm. I think right now, like, yes, I agree that collective change is really the only way to catalyze that. And I think that the, the environmental uh, philosophy that people like Jacques Fresco articulate so well that we, you change people by changing their environment and that mass groups of people are not going to change unless we change the environment, the social environment, the cultural environment, the atmosphere of competition, all of these things, the material circumstances of their lives. Unless those things change, most people are not going to change. But in the here and now, we don't have systems change. And even as we are trying to create our own systems, our own communities, our own networks, our own infrastructure of any kind, we are in this world. We are in here right now. And... Uh, we are all we have. We have to be that element of change. We don't have the luxury to wait for somebody's house to fucking burn down to be like, hey, so I told you so. Here's my pamphlet. Here's my podcast. Like, fuck that. We have to be. We have to really show up for people. And yeah. a lot of it, it, a lot of it means. This is hard for a lot of people that I know, a lot of activists to get that like it does require a kind of compromise and a kind of non-judgment of accepting people where they are. And Paulo Freire's book of Pedagogy of the Oppressed talks about this a lot that, you know, revolutionaries have all through history failed to revolutionize people because they approach them through their worldview, through their mm. view of reality, that they use their language. They you talk about fucking dialectical materialism and, <laughs> you know, uh, structural fucking uh, feedback loops and mm -hmm the endogenous fucking uh, corruption inherent to the system structure. And most people glaze over when you talk like this. Yeah, uh, I don't. I find that stuff, you know, beautiful. I find poetry in finding the right scientific word to discuss these things. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's 
to pull that word dialectics, you know, it's a, it's, you have your thesis, your antithesis, and then you have your new thing. You have, you know, the cycle of abuse, you have the abuser, you have the victim, and then you have the reaction, the victim reacts, reacts against the abuser and in many senses becomes an abuser and keeps the cycle going in some form of way, you know, um, not to be too reductive, but yeah, I mean like individual change catalyzes collective change catalyzes individual change. It is a, a feedback loop yeah. that, uh, will increase as you know, this movement, this perspective, uh, widens and broadens and connects to more people. I'm currently struggling to push even radicals, you know, over the, over the edge to get them to take the, uh, the green pill or whatever, to get them mm -hmm. to realize that the system is the problem and that mm -hmm. like in the climate movement, I, I have a lot of friends and comrades and, you know, people that I've been working with in the climate change activist movement and an extinction rebellion. And, um, I kind of walked away from that organization a, a year or so ago because it was like, you guys don't get it. You don't want to talk about systems. You don't want to learn. You're not listening to me, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I kind of realized like a lot of that is on me, that it's in, it's on me to find the right language to communicate to people and to be, you know, really, really strategic in my communication and in showing up for people and being of service to them. And I think if we had some radical community and the middle of nowhere in you know nebraska or appalachia and we were trying to confederate it we were trying to spread our little social experiment to other communities in the surrounding network and you know form this giant mutual aid network of farm to farm and peer to peer you know we we couldn't just show up and be like hey here's our radical moneyless world y'all check it out look at these flying cars and uh, they would just be like get the fuck off my land you know who the fuck are you <laughs> but if we showed up to them and we're like here's some food you know Here's, here's some, you know, things we made, here's some techniques, here's some knowledge and information. Here's a, an open source blueprint for a, a tractor that you can create or a machine that will aid in the, the planting process, you know, then they're listening. Then they're yeah. like, okay, who are you? What, what is this thing you're doing? You know? So it's, it's yeah. like, we have to, I think a lot of people are fixated on the collective change, but mm -hmm. that's their only axis of change and they're dicks. They're unhappy, miserable, and ineffective people ultimately because like that, that friend, they're obsessed with the darkness. They're obsessed mm. with the, the problem more than the solution. Yeah. And I think we need to know both. But if, if we're not actively cultivating uh, a sense of love for ourselves and for all humanity, even the most wretched among us, even the people pulling the triggers or signing the orders to you know, turn a whole village into nothing, we have to love these people and understand that they are problems or they are results of a system. They are not, they did not just choose to be that way. No one would, no human, no sane person, no well person would uh, interpret information that they're, that the scientific consensus of the planet says, if you keep doing this, I'm talking about a fossil fuel executive or something. If you keep mm -hmm. signing these orders and participating in this process, you will kill all of our children. No, no normal person would do that. And I refuse to believe that humanity is so rotten, is just born wrong, that we're like a race of sociopaths or that we're brutal and competitive. These are all adaptations to a maladapted social environment. Mm. And we can, as we change that environment, we, we change ourselves. I'll say one more thing before I, I pass it back to you. I think yeah. it's something like a miracle to get it. It, mm. it requires, in a lot of ways, uh, a taste of trauma. 
It requires yeah. you to suffer in unnatural and uh, ways that just break your sense of meaning, ways mm -hmm. that just crack you like a nut, that just take away your ability to reconcile and rationalize and say, oh, wait, that's just this, or oh, everything is fine, or oh, that you have so many of us are so insulated by these social structures of the suburbs and the cities and all these things that it really will take grotesque and horrendous suffering for them to really see what is going on. And in that moment, we have to show up for those people. We have to meet them with kindness and not point the finger and say, I told you so, you did this, fuck you. You know, We have to tell them the three things that some a wise person told me to say when one of my relationships was broken which was i i forgive you i'm sorry and i love you ultimately that we need to hold people to this higher standard of what where we can all go and that starts it sadly starts with ourselves a lot of people upset who obsess over the death and destruction in the world and don't really see like a loving tr transition a, a revolution, a true revolution of breaking that cycle, not just continuing it. They can't imagine it because they can't imagine breaking their own cycle. They can't imagine breaking their own abusiveness, mm -hmm. their own desire to get even on the people that hurt them. Because sadly, to be radical, most of us have to be hurt very badly. Which makes sense. It's, it, I mean, it kind of brings me, it kind of makes me think of what I was saying earlier, where in order to make certain changes, you really do have to be forced to. And I think that taste of trauma is is really necessary you know we really try to avoid any sort of pain or trauma but it those moments the most tra like i would say traumatic moments in my life have been the most meaningful because they allow me to reshape and reorient and push myself in a new way that's actually just made all the difference and there's so many things in that that i love that you talked about um I, specifically i love the idea that when we think of like systems change or we think about revolution, just making a better world, it's it can't really be either or in terms of, uh, you know, individual change versus social change. Uh, specifically, I love that you pointed out that like in order to just change other people's mind, you do have to change their uh, their situation, their material situation. But in the same vein, that can only happen if we if we improve ourselves and then seek to improve the world and then there's that feedback loop that you're talking about so it's always just going to be both this synthesis um, and i love that so much and then another thing that i just wanted to point on what you were talking about there is the idea that we need to stop trying to point blame as a as some sort of solution or just trying to say like yeah this person this executive these, these are the ones we've got to chop their heads off and then everything's going to be better all of a sudden and otherwise it's because it's really just going to be founding any new system, any new world on that violence, because that's really what the kindness rebellion is supposed to be, right? It's rejecting tyranny and oppression through understanding love and kindness. It's about trying to transcend all of this generational pain and all this generational trauma so that we can actually offer kindness, offer um, cooperation and unification in order to improve the state of the world, in order to improve ourselves. And so I, I feel like you just really nailed that home with that description of trying to understand people, trying to understand how the system affects them. Because like you said, this system, it, you know, we're not just, I, I agree, I hate when people say that uh, humans are just terrible beings that, uh, that are just selfish and just want to, you know, kill, eat and fuck everything kind of thing. And I, I really I see- That's me. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, Bring like obviously we have drives and desires, but like all you can fuck, kill, and snort buffet. <laughs> Send me there. Bring Dude, me there that... in a big fucking diesel gas guzzling dually truck. I'm on I'm on my way. Okay. That is a very lucrative business, and we will talk about that after the the podcast because we're gonna get that off the ground. We got so many investors lined up for that. <laughs> but like it it's just amazing to me that people don't realize that, you know, our current system, our economic system of capitalism actively feeds the things that they say that is embedded in humanity it, it actively feeds wait what are you talking about you mean like cow capitalism feeds the, the, the planet and it's brought the most people out of poverty oh yeah right you know what you know what it did for uh you know in a very arbitrary sense while we're killing ourselves on the planet and uh you know making it so that we just hate the conditions that we're living in but you know Maybe we'll just throw that out the window and say that it's it's all good Look, now, right? Okay, say what you will about <laughs> capitalism, but like, what would you have to cringe at if it didn't exist? Uh huh. You would just You're be right. sincerely loving everything. You'd be ripped of your. You'd be you'd be torn asunder from your precious irony. You fucking millennials. You're so ungrateful. You're uh, you, know, you don't appreciate anything we've done for you. Okay, we gave you the opportunity of a lifetime to have to live your life like an adventure to take on the demons and dragons that you always dreamed you would. If, if without our without our economic system, you'd have no enemy. You'd have no opposition, and you just you'd just be solving problems cooperatively. Oh, how fun! Yeah, How that sounds that terrible, would be. man. I what do an not adventure. Want to do that. I'd much rather live in a constant state of fear and desire and just be trying to, you know, fight everybody and and uh, tackle people for resources. But it's it's just I I love that you pointed that out because we really we really do feed the worst aspects of ourselves and I think the key to creating uh, individual and systemic change is choosing to feed the things that we actually inherently value, like understanding, kindness and love. Like you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that doesn't believe that those are like the, like that these are the main values of humanity that everybody could rally around, you know? But it, when you start to talk about, Hey, let's try and build systems around that. Let's try and build systems that feed like education and, you know, feed people and make sure that they have access to healthcare. And people are just gonna be like, nah, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. We, we have to keep feeding the worst parts of ourselves because it's all we've ever known. And it's just such a limited mindset that, um, that I'm, I'm so happy to see is, is kind of just breaking apart. Like, uh, you know, the kindness rebellion and moneyless society, these, these are just like these, these organizations, we're just picking up on a wave that's really happening. Cause you know, I can, I can kind of complain to you like, oh, people aren't changing fast enough. What do we do? But at the end of the day, like, I just, I do really feel this wave picking up and like this energy that's coursing through people where they're just realizing like, Hey, this system doesn't work for us. We're killing the planet. We're killing ourselves, and uh, nobody's really doing anything about it. And so, uh, I went on a tangent there, but I wanted—I just wanted to point out what you were saying because I, I felt like those were so valuable. And I really do think that um, these these movements that you're creating and, and being a part of are just are going to be so valuable and are really going to help people awaken and change. Because at the end, that's what we need. That's what we need to get moving forward, right? Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, it's it's important to cultivate uh, friendship in this work, in this uh, transition, this movement. It's important to find the others. That's a mandate. I'm gonna get that printed on a shirt. You know, but you have to find the others. You know, mm. there's no more the excuse that enough people don't get it, that uh no, nobody cares or nobody sees it or 
you know, oh, people are just too stupid. People are just too ignorant. There are people all over the world who get it that don't need 10 conversations for them to be like, yeah, okay, the system might be the problem. There are people that, you know, you meet and in 10 seconds, you're like, fuck yeah, you get it. You're down. Now that's different from those people saying, I'm going to quit my job and, um, you know, work with you, you know, do devote myself to this. And to those people, I say, you know, take that shit to the next level because, you know, I just try to ask people all the time, like, what are you actually doing to secure your future? What are you actually doing? Consuming memes, staying up on media, reading theory, all these things. That's not enough. That has no tangible effect on the warming of our planet, the disintegration of our social order, the lack of community and trust and organizing that is needed, that is completely existentially needed for us to progress as a species and or just continue as a species. Mm. So I, I, I want to ask to any of those people listening that get it, that have taken this pill, I want to ask you like, don't, you know, pat yourself on the back for getting this far in the choose your own adventure book it is a choose your own adventure book. We do to an extent have a choice. Um, the, the options are ultimately limited, you know, um, I, uh, don't have a choice of what to do in my life, really. Um, a lot of people will think like, oh, you chose to be nomadic or you chose to live like this. But I don't, I look at my life and I don't see one, I see very few moments where I made a choice, really, consciously. I mean, it. it's like I was pushed into this life every step of the way, you know, by the people around me, the, the influences in my life that, I didn't choose to be, you know, neurodivergent. I didn't choose to get addicted to alcohol and spend years of my life, you know, uh, writing poetry on scraps of toilet paper and, you know, bellowing them at people that hated me. <laughs> you know, I didn't choose to do any of these things. I didn't choose to, uh, you know, not have money. I didn't choose for my dad to uh, not invest in Google at the last minute when it was an IPO and you know, make, make us not rich. Like I, there's no, there's no single choice. I can think of one choice in my life where I flipped a coin to decide which van I was going to get into, uh, to go hitchhike around North, Northern California. And even that, that was the coin, not me. I didn't choose. I just chose to made a choose. I just chose to make a choice. I chose to say, okay, I don't have control of this moment. I need to take my own self out of my sense of what I am doing and the, the faulty sense of control that I have in my life. And, um, you know, that's the essence of the Tao, of the Tao Te Ching, that, you know, give up control. Give up the sense of control that you think you're in control, that you think you and your human mind can conceive of your own worth and magnitude and purpose, that you can can as as if any as if like any other creature we truly have a, a level of self-awareness that we can see our role that like mm. does a dog know how profoundly you know needed it is when its owner is stroking its ears at night after they've had just a debilitatingly inhuman day no they just they're just doing their they're just living through every moment and i think that's the same thing for most of us if all of us we don't know the integral role that we have in the ecosystem the social ecosystem until we throw ourselves out into the unconscious. And so the, the, con the unconscious need to you know, connect with unconsciousness and process things over long periods of time. 
They need to really stop thinking and they need to stop reacting. And the conscious need to do the same thing. They need to thrust themselves into the unknown in, and out of the sense of like, oh, here's what I can do. Uh, here's what I am, you know, and to really devote yourself 100% to making that inner decision of saying, okay, I have to do something about this. There is no option. What I am doing is not working. And it, you said at the beginning of this call that you have like, you know, the inner trepidation of like going out, out onto the open road. Mm -hmm. And I, to that, I, I've seen it so many times that your hometown and your own life, your lifestyle has hooks and they will keep you from doing what you need to do. I've seen this with addicts. I've seen this with people on the verge of uh, taking like, say like Ibogaine, like uh, my friend's son was uh, uh, addicted to a very serious drug and he was lining up like Ibogaine treatment and he didn't do it. He said no. And it wasn't because he didn't think it would work. It's because he knew it would. And he would have to give up this thing that he had adapted to, this parasite that he had uh, if, you know, become codependent on. So I think a lot of people, the radicals, the people who get it, their obstacle is fear. It's fear of taking responsibility for envisioning and creating a whole new world. It's, it's fear of, of following this thing all the way and essentially ending their life as they know it, which is sounds scary, doesn't it? But yeah. there's a very fine line between anxiety and freedom. If there's no anxiety, there's no freedom. Uh, so I say to anybody questioning, like, what do I do? How do I take the leap? You know, what can I do? I'm just one person. You can shut the fuck up and pay attention to what other people's needs are and find until you find that place where you're like, I can help you. Mm. I can do something. I can yeah. do something about you. Like my mother, uh, um, uh, her church hosted this Romanian a youth choir and um there were these you know orphan children singing songs for raise money for their orphanage back home in this you know post-soviet ravaged poor country and uh, one of the girls in the choir had this eye that like didn't look straight mm -hmm. one eye had Glazer. control of the other one she didn't and um my mother saw her and said she saw this flash you know she said i know how to fix that i know what to do about that and, you know, she didn't think, she didn't question it. She like went into action. She like raised the money. She found the surgeon, she found the hospital and she made it happen. And, you know, like talk about like, I didn't choose the life that I lived. I mean, I was at that moment in my life contemplating suicide or move to Texas and become a carpenter or just throw myself into whatever lifestyle I could, you know, to just go out and have like a vision quest. Cause I knew like, I have to escape the stifling uh, social circumstances that are reinforcing uh, an incomplete version of who I am. I need to take myself out of it and have a real rite of passage and become a true man, you know, like, and at that moment she said like, no, you can't do that. If you're going to travel, you have to help people. And through just this freak thing, like she did this thing for this, these group, these people, and then they emailed her, like, how are you doing? Like, how's it going? That she, that, and they said, it's great. We're just looking for a video person to, like, go with our choir. And, you know, she pulled that string. And, you know, I can't tell you that my life would have been, I can't tell you what my life would have been like if that hadn't happened. I, you know, toured this orphan choir and then flew to Romania and 
drank a lot of alcohol and smoked a lot of uh, lucky strikes <laughs> at living in this Christian organization, like trying to deal with this incredible suffering that I couldn't fathom. They're like, oh yeah, I'm depressed. I'm a depressed 23-year-old kid or 21-year-old kid. I know pain and suffering. And then I'm like touring these gypsy villages where their houses are made of shoe boxes and, and fucking I can see the American logos of fucking cereal boxes and brands on their on their garbage houses and they're making soup out of out of out of like posters to get the glue off of them because it has some nutrient in it or i look in the eyes of a man with with uh, no arms and legs and um and uh, i i gave him no he had no legs and i was drinking at the bar and it was freezing outside and i had these gloves and i very auspiciously like a kid in a fucking commercial came up to him and like gave him my gloves and he fucking laughed at me he threw them back in my face and went, oh, boo-hoo. Like, fuck you. You don't know my life. You don't know my pain. Your fucking pittance is not going to help me one bit. These experiences will change you. And I think you'll never find your role in the fucking revolution from a computer screen. You know, That's where my revolution has brought me, is to organizing online and finding people all over the place and incorporating and organizing all these things. But the answer for most people still is get out of your, leave your house, leave everything that you think is secure and that helps you, you know, uh, accomplish your goals because your goals are fucking useless. Your goals are even no matter what you're using your money with, your lifestyle is, you know, generating economic growth to drive the death wheel of the, of the world. And I'm not saying that to demonize anybody who's working a job because I have the highest respect for people who do, especially people with families, but we all know this is not right. And um, for us who have the privilege of not having responsibilities, of getting it, I mean, you could stack the level of privileges it takes to be an affluent, fucking white, you know, young, able-bodied, intelligent person who fucking gets it, who gets like systems thinking and systemic kindness and all these things. Like the, that is an amount of privilege that is just mind-blowing. And mm. to not use that for the, for the good of the world in this moment to not burn that candle at both ends, I just I have nothing but pity for you, not you particularly, but <laughs> no, I mean it, it's it's very relevant to me because I mean this is this feels like uh, I mean even just my volunteer work with the Moneyless Society, it's been more of a just like an active change in my life where I I sort of kept seeing that like there I was just kind of like posting and sharing shit online thinking that that was doing something. And even and even starting the podcast, I, I've you know I've had a lot of reflection there where I'm just like I know that this isn't necessarily like the most I could be doing, but it is something I enjoy, right? But I I just I've been seeing more and more that the most meaningful and the most valuable change is the direct action in other people's lives and the direct influence in other people's lives, because even just connecting and cooperating with other people even if it's not you know creating our own uh farm or something that's you know all uh sustaining all the people working on it but we don't have any money or anything it's just it's just any genuine connection and cooperation with other people is just building a meaningful foundation in my own life and so yeah i i, I really do think that the main steps that people really can be taking, at least from my point of view, is just is just kindness and just cooperation and just getting out of this weird alienated shell that we've, you know, seen ourselves encapsulated in because 
it's not healing us. It's it's tearing us apart, and it really just needs to be this movement of cooperation and understanding with other people. And like you said, just getting new experiences, just getting yourself out there, getting laughed at by a homeless guy. You know, like <laughs> you just you need to have these experiences added into your reality tunnel in order to just start opening up more and more and seeing those opportunities for when you can make change, like you're saying, um, which I just find so extremely valuable. But uh, sweet, uh, we're probably going to finish this out here pretty soon. Uh, so I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast, Marlo. This has been an awesome time. Uh, I will make you come on here very often if possible <laughs> I, I think you're a very valuable valuable voice to have uh, running around in my head um, I think you and I think a lot alike and uh, I really like I said earlier I, I really do see you as a revolutionary and I think we uh, I think you can make real change and I want to be a part of that as well thanks man happy to be here happy to help um, yeah I mean awesome. my my grandmother's life's mission her mantra you know is be kind you know, and, and, uh, that is, that is revolutionary. It is, it is, it is not going to change anyone's mind to yell at them and call them an idiot and a slave and, you know, <laughs> say that they've been indoctrinated and all these things like that's not going to help. I mean, some people need the crowbar, yeah. you know, but most people, they just need gentleness. They need to be very gently and patiently told, like, listen, this is, it's not what you think it is. You have been led astray. I know you're trying to do your best, but you're, you're hurting more than you're helping. Mm. You know, I said that to like 20 cops once at a protest, everyone's <laughs> yelling at them, calling them pigs. And I was just like, I just came up to them. I looked them all in the eyes. I was like, listen, man, I know you're trying to do your best. I know you're telling yourself a story that you're actually helping and you're keeping society together. And I just kind of broke it down that like all of the research is completely in the opposite direction that the more you police a, group, a community, the more violent things are, the more you try to control, the more like you're, you're ultimately ending up being an, an appendage of the oppressor. You're hurting people every day of your life. You are hurting people. And the anger that people have for you is justified. And I, I want you to think about that when you go to sleep. I want you to think about that, you know, that you are, despite your best intentions, harming the world. And I think that's, that's a message that, um, it doesn't really usually land. I mean, yeah. like it's, it's like scattering seeds in concrete, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's like trying to plant a food forest in a parking lot. It's just probably not going to work, but you know, there may be one crack and that seed can work its way in there and it may take many years, even months until that seed gets rain, gets the water and the nutrients that it needs to germinate. But we can change people's lives on an individual basis. I've done it. You know, I, I've anyone who's out there telling you you can't fucking help people and you just got to focus on yourself. There, there, there's a fucking little CIA agent in their head typing that. You know, there's there's like a little a little fucking propaganda minister in their head saying, "Don't don't try to help people. You can't save anyone. You gotta you gotta put on your oxygen mask first. Fuck that person. Shoot them in the head. <laughs> yeah, Helping get that shit out of your head forever." Always, yeah. Helping other people will always nourish you. That's I think that's, that's such an important thing for people to know. Yeah, I mean, we need that nourishment. I mean, it it helps us to feed the homeless more than it helps them a lot of the time, mm -hmm. you know. But it helps us to go out there and protest and yell more than it affects things on a structural level. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, 
the good intentions that people have are what's keeping them from being effective. That people trying to keep things nice and polite is for a lot of people what is keeping them from really grappling with what is going on in the world, their own complicity and their own place in it. And that's the that's the point. It's a system problem. It's not a personal problem. It's not a problem of a fault of, a fault of morality. I truly believe the most evil uh, actions, I was going to say evil people, but the most evil actions perpetrated by ultimately flexible, adaptable, uh, changeable human beings subject to their environments, conditioned into the value system that they were, are done with the best of intentions. Mm. So <laughs> kindness is everything, but it's it's got to be attached to that broader, visionary, systemic understanding. And it's got to be social, you know? It's got to be, we have to do this together. We have to incorporate ourselves together. We don't need an army of charity of people doing get doing charity. We need an army of people pulling each other up and educating themselves and edu educating each other and feeding each other and creating systems that are ever more organized and ever more serious that can give people the ability to walk away from this existing system because that is the thing that's keeping us from the greatest change. Awesome. Sweet. Thank you so much, Marlo. Yeah, man. Anytime. Take it easy. You too. But take it. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you know, Moneyless Society is a listener-supported project. Everything we do is either done for free or done on the donations that people like you that believe in us have instilled. So, uh, I just want to personally thank everybody that's helped us get this far. Everybody that's supported us, believed in us, gave us a, a like and a share and a, a word of affirmation. And to everybody that's reached out and, and said thank you. I can't tell you how much it means to me to have this outlet to be able to touch people's lives. To be able to make some difference, no matter how small. not Maybe not on a structural, massive, systemic level, but on a personal level. Because we are all on a journey, as my old man told me at a dark moment in my life years ago. We are all in this together, even in this massively dehumanized, systematic world of laws of scale, one person really can make a difference. So go out there and make it. <laughs> and uh, keep, an, keep an ear to the ground for a lot of really cool stuff that's coming. Our next season is coming very soon. So subscribe, share, like, tell your friends, get them to catch up for the next season and reach out. Let's work together. Let's let's make this dream come true because they're not coming for us. Come on. All we got is each other and that is enough. Follow Nathan's show Kindness Rebellion on YouTube, subscribe, chop, comment, blah 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 and Instagram and um, just try to go out there and be kind. For fuck's sake, the world is so hard. Be kind. And call up your grandmother and tell her, "Thank you." I love you. Thank you for all of the free work you've done. Grandmothers of the world are the moneyless all-stars. None of them get paid. Nobody gets paid to be a grandmother. And this world would fucking fall apart without them. It's falling apart anyway. So uh, if you're not too terribly busy, do a revolution while you're at it. All right. Love you. Bye-bye.